Thank you, Brother Ray, for your prayers for us as a church. Welcome, if you are joining us for the first time, to all of our friends and to the members of New Life Church. As Hatham mentioned, this is our 12th week that we are recording online, and uh, we are looking forward to getting together soon as a church. Until the day, we continue to pray for all of you. We continue to miss you. And uh, if there's any way we can continue to serve you, uh, please reach out to us. So over the last few weeks, we've been studying um, the message that Jesus preached um, called the Sermon on the Mount from Luke chapter 6. And Jesus opened his sermon with a description of the blessings that belong to those who entered the kingdom of God and a warning to those that have not yet entered the kingdom of God. Last week, Pedro preached, or two weeks back, Pedro preached to us the description that Jesus gives to his disciples as to how they are to live as citizens of the kingdom. And last week we saw Jesus telling his disciples to love their enemies. And today we continue with this same sermon. Um, but Jesus is concluding this section of his sermon, dealing with the requirement of loving even our enemies. And he knows that we will try to look for loopholes. Uh, we will try to make excuses and we will be judging our enemies and making excuses for our own sin. So he gives a strong corrective by showing how we should focus on being merciful, not judgmental, even towards those we, who have wronged us. And then to help us apply it, he goes on to show that we must focus on judging our own sins or we'll be like blind men trying to lead blind men. And only when we have judged our own sins can we see clearly in order to help other people who are struggling. So today our portion of scripture comes from Luke chapter 6. Um, the title of my sermon is Judging Others, Judging Self. We will read from verse 36 to verse 42. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken, together, running over, will be put into your lap. But with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but ev everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your own brother's eye. Let's pray before we study God's Word together. Lord, we do ask for your help this morning as we unpack this passage that you've preached so many years ago. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be faithful to the text. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would help us to apply this text, that he would convict us, that he would um, give us the comfort that we would need, and that he would show us the hope that we need in Christ. So we pray today that your Spirit would be the teacher, Lord, that he really would open um, our ears, that he would open our hearts, that he would give us 
hearts, Lord, that would um, not be stone, but hearts of flesh that would be fertile for your word this morning. We need your help, Lord, and we ask, please, Lord, for the sake of your name, that you would continue to make us more like Jesus. We ask in your precious name. Amen. So Jesus knows our common tendencies to justify ourselves and to, to blame others. If you have children, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it has been interesting even to hear the mixed responses that I've received from the message that I preached last week. Some people phoned me and said, Pastor, thank you for that message. It really was what I needed. Um, I need to be loving my enemies. Thank you for showing us how to do that from the Word of God. And then there was the other response where people would say, well, Pastor, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know how difficult my situation is and how difficult it is to love my enemies. Well, that may be true. That statement may be true. I don't know everybody's situation. And I'm sure that these trying times are more difficult for some than it is for, for others. That may be true. But I do know the one who does know everything including the difficult times that all of us are experiencing, some bigger than others. And since God's Word is true and profitable for all of us, in every circumstance and in every situation, we do well to listen to the Lord continue to teach us on this subject, again, on the same topic today. If we want God's blessings in our lives, we need to follow God's way, not our way which is normally opposite to the way that we would want. Um, man's way is to go easy on ourselves and to judge others more, more harshly than we judge ourselves. And God's way is to be merciful towards others and to judge our own sins more harshly. And since it goes against the flesh, it is something that we must work constantly on if we want to please God and experience His blessings. There is a story about a young man who was filling out a college questionnaire that I found this week that I thought would help us understand the context here. He was filling out this questionnaire to help determine um, his room compatibility in the dormitory of the university where he was going. And in the question, do you make your bed regularly, he marked it yes. And in the question, do you consider yourself a neat person? He checked the box, yes. But his mother was standing next to him and read the answers of the questions that he had marked. And knowing that they were far from the truth, she asked him why he had lied about that. And the boy replied, what? Would you want me to have them stick with me, some untidy slob? We can see the hypocrisy in that humorous story. Now, we're all prone to excuse our own faults and to magnify the, the faults of others. And that is why Jesus here in this passage is teaching us that genuine agape love requires of us to show mercy towards others and to judge our own sins more severely. So my first point this morning is the merciful judge. We see that in verse 36 to verse 
38, verse 36, tells us, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Only those who have personally tasted of, of God's great mercy can show mercy towards others. And everyone who has received God's mercy knows himself as a sinner who deserves God's judgment. And if you do not view yourself that way, you do not understand the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve His grace. We deserve His judgment. But we thank God for His grace that He has given us Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not that, that I was a pretty good person who, who needed a little something extra in my life and God provided that something extra. No. The gospel is that, that I was hopelessly alienated from God. I was guilty of violating His holy law. I could do nothing in and of myself in order to be reconciled with God. No amount of works would have achieved that. No amount of works could qualify me for heaven because they could never cancel out my sin. They could never do what Jesus did on that cross in Calvary. I was dead in my sins, living according to the desires of my flesh, ignorant of God and His holy ways. And the Scriptures tell us, look at Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, Then, but God, but God, what a wonderful start of a hopeful passage of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is the good news of the gospel. But God, while we were yet sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, it was Christ who made us alive. The good news of the gospel. We, when we have personally tasted God's mercy in Christ, you can begin to show that mercy to others because we don't deserve it. And if you're a true believer, you would understand that grace. If you are entitled and think that you deserved it, then you don't understand grace. And mercy and grace, very closely connected, is God's undeserved favor with the added degree of His compassion because of our helpless condition. And often when someone has, has wronged us, we, we want God's justice upon him, isn't it? We want him to pay for, for what he did. But what if God had shown us justice and not mercy? What if we got what we deserved rather than his mercy? Think about that for a moment. We would be paying for our sins in hell. If we know God as our merciful Father, then we must, as His children, show His mercy toward those who have wronged us. And Jesus goes on to show us what He means by this. Uh, look at verse 37 again. He says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. 
Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. When Jesus commands us not to judge others, He does not mean that we must not be discerning and should not evaluate our own actions or others' actions or others' teachings or, or others' beliefs. Now, I remember once talking to someone who professed to be a Christian who was having an adulterous relationship. And I told him that what he was doing was wrong. It would destroy his family. It would destroy his marriage. And this person quickly responded by asking me, Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? I think all non-believers know this verse, Judge not, lest you be judged. Who am I to judge? Nobody likes to be judged. People generally set their own rules and don't like when others point out their sins. And, and so this is a, a favorite verse for many unbelievers, but it's not the way Jesus had given it. It's not understood properly the way Jesus has given it here in this passage. So the question this morning that we need to ask is, what did Jesus mean then? What did Jesus mean when he said, judge not so that you will not be judged? Uh, does Jesus mean that judgment should never be made? Is that what he means? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The truth is we are called, we are called upon to make judgments every single day. When I go to the bakery to, to buy bread, I make a judgment call between this loaf of bread and between that loaf of bread. Which one is fresher? When I go to the grocery store, I make a judgment call on the vegetables that I buy. Which, which vegetable is, is fresher? Which one I should leave? Which one I should take? Um, same as when I buy fruit. Same as when I do most of my shopping. Which is cheaper? Which is, which is better to buy? Um, in a court of law, you think about a judge. They have to judge. They have to make a verdict, a render a verdict. They need to decide who was right and, and who was wrong. Um, managers in, in your place of employment, they must judge you know, their, their employer's performance. It's important. Teachers have to assess their students. That's important as well. And even in the church of Jesus Christ, we are told to exercise church discipline when a brother has, or a sister has sinned. And later on in this very sermon, in verse 43 to verse 45, which we'll look at next week, uh, Jesus himself calls his disciples to judge people by their fruit. By their fruit. So we must judge. We must be discerning people. But how we judge is really at the essence of this sermon, of this message, of this lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Thankfully, this is not all Jesus says when he says, do not judge. He qualifies this. He doesn't leave us guessing. Look at the very next sentence he says there by adding, do not condemn. Do not condemn. Do not judge. Do not condemn. So Jesus does not want Christians to judge in a, in a self-righteous way. He doesn't want them to judge in a hypocritical way. In a hypocritical way, condemns others when we're so busy looking at their sin, unwilling to look at our sin. He doesn't want us to judge like that. He wants us to judge in a in a Christian way, 
in a way that, that Christ would judge. Um, to judge others in a, in a hypocritical way is to look down on them with a condemning spirit, presuming that we know their heart's motives. It comes from a self-righteous spirit on our part. And to judge someone self-righteously comes from a, a desire to get even or to make the person pay for, for what he did. When you have been wounded by another person, when you have not been loved well by another person, and you are called upon in your heart to make an assessment of them, what is the first thing that we want to do? Well, you want to come with thunderbolts and, and lightning, and you want to send down condemnation on that person, isn't it? In our, in our flesh. We don't want God to pardon him. We don't want mercy. We would be gratified to hear that that guy got what he deserved, that he was afflicted, or that he was given a, a high sentence. It serves him right for, for what he did to me. If we heard that he repented and God saved him, we would act like Job, wouldn't we? That's not fair. And then we'll go right away and build ourselves a, a little shelter and moan and sulk, just like Job did. And all of this reflects a, a spirit of, of judgment on our part, not a, a spirit of mercy. And Jesus is saying, in these circumstances, in the circumstances where you have not been loved well, in the circumstances of you being mistreated, Jesus is saying, be slow to condemn. Jesus is saying here that we must be very careful about rushing into a condemning judgment. Notice also in the same verse, look at, look at verse 37. Jesus also says, Forgive and you will be forgiven. Well, what's our normal instinct? We've just discussed that. It's to condemn. What's our tendency? It, it's to say, you were wrong. You caused all of this problem. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, be quick to forgive. Be slow to condemn. Be quick to forgive. And it's the opposite. This is supernatural again, folks. This is not something that we can do in our own flesh. When somebody's betrayed us, when somebody's wounded us, when somebody's hurt us, when somebody's let us down, we are quick to condemn. But Jesus says, no, if you're a disciple of mine, if you call yourself Christian, be quick to forgive instead. Let that be your default setting. An unforgiving spirit is a, is a judgmental spirit. It's opposed to God's mercy. It doesn't reflect the nature of God. It doesn't reflect the holiness of God. To show mercy to others means to be generous towards them. And that's what verse 38 is speaking about. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, be ready to give. Verse 38, give and it will be given back to you. Verse 38 is often, often taken out of context by these tele-evangelists or these fundraising preachers that we see on the TV. 
Um, it's funny I say that. I'm on the TV this morning. Um, not asking for your money, <laughs> asking for your attention rather. But we often hear, if you give to this ministry, God will give you back more, a hundred times more. If you sow this seed, God will give you ten times more. Well, while it's true that God will bless generous givers, it is not true that He will give them back more than they give. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. In its context, in this verse, it means that even if we have been burned by people that we have helped, we must continue to be generous to those in, in need, just as God generously showered His, His mercy on us. Um, the description here, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. It comes from the grain markets where the people used to do their marketing together um, during Jesus' days. And a, and a good merchant, a kind merchant, would pour grain into his, into his measure and then he would press it down and he would shake it so that it would, it would settle at the bottom. Then he would pour the grain until it ran over. And he would take that overflowing measure and he would pour it into, into the lap of the, the robe that, of the person who was purchasing from. Um, he would be generous. And that's how, that's how God poured out his generous mercy on us. He wasn't being stingy, counting the little pieces of grain so that we can, so that we can benefit from just the morsels. The Lord was gracious. He was showing generous mercy, pouring it out upon us. And that's how we should respond to people in need, even those that have not, especially those who have not loved us well. And to show mercy to others means not to judge them, but rather to pardon them and to be generous towards them. And children of the merciful Heavenly Father should be marked by by acts of mercy, by such acts of mercy, even towards those who have not wronged us. And notice what he says, good measure will be put in your lap. If you are slow to condemn, and you are quick to forgive, and you are ready to give rather than get, then God is going to put good measure into your lap. This is your reward. This is your reward. In fact, it's going to be so much that it will be pressed down and shaken together because it's going to be running over. Abundant blessings. So be assured there is a reward for our obedience. Be slow to condemn. Be quick to forgive. Be ready to give and be assured of God's reward. And then this fascinating word at the end of verse 38. Look again at verse 38. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Now that has also been recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Been recorded in two Gospels for us, so that, so that we don't miss this very important truth. There's a wonderful example I found this week, a legendary example of this measure for measure um, that I wanted to share with you. It comes from the life of a, spoor, a, a poor Scottish 
farmer named Fleming. And one day the farmer heard a cry for help coming from a, a nearby swamp. And there, stuck to his waist in, in black muck, was a terrified boy who was screaming and struggling to free himself. And farmer Fletcher saved the boy from what could have been a slow and terrifying death. And the next day, a fancy carriage pulled up to the Scotsman's humble abode and an elegant nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the father of the boy uh, that um, Farmer Fleming had saved him. And he said, I want to repay you. Um, the nobleman said, I want to repay you. you. You saved my son's life. I need to repay you. And the Scottish farmer, he refused the offer. Um, but at that moment, his own son came to the door. And the nobleman asked the farmer, is this your son? And the nobleman replied, uh, sorry, the, the farmer replied, yes, it is. And he said, well, let, let me take him and give him a good education. And if, and if the boy is anything like you, he'll grow up to be a man that you can be proud of. And time went by and the farmer's son graduated from St. Mary's Hospital uh, Medical School in London. And he later became better known throughout the, the world as Sir Alexander Fleming, the doctor who discovered penicillin. Many years later, when the nobleman's son was stricken with pneumonia, the very drug that Fleming had discovered, that, that, that he had discovered, saved his life. And that little boy, he too was a famous man. His name was Sir Winston Churchill. I love that story. Now what we sow is often what we reap. If we show mercy, we will receive mercy. If we are condemning, judgmental, we will receive that in the measure that we measured with. To be judgmental is dangerous because by the standard of measure by which we judge others, it will be measured back to us. What we sow is what we reap. And God has no double standards. Don't, don't think that for a moment. And don't be deceived. He has promised us a reward if we are merciful and forgiving and generous and non-judgmental. Whether we receive a, a full measure now or later, it doesn't matter. It's immaterial. What matters is that we will receive this wonderful reward when we enter the immeasurable joy of heaven. And that leads to my second point this morning. The blind man. We see in verse 39 to verse 40, Jesus says, he, this, Luke tells us, he also told them a parable. And Jesus speaks, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So Jesus is pushing his disciples here to examine themselves. Now if they are blind to their own sins, how can they help others deal with their sins? And although Luke does not mention it here, the backdrop for, for Jesus' illustration in this parable is the Pharisees. Um, in our 
study of the hypocritical Pharisees um, last year or the year before, we, we saw in Matthew 23 Jesus calling these religious leaders blind guides. We saw that in um, Matthew 23 verse 16. We see that in Matthew 23 verse uh, 24. He calls them, he says to them, Woe to you, blind guides. So these blind guides are the Pharisees which we've looked at. And these men were marked by spiritual pride. They did not confront their own sins. They did not acknowledge their need for God's grace. They rejected the message of John the Baptist. Remember, repentance. They rejected Jesus' message of repentance. And if the disciples followed them, if the disciples followed these Pharisees, they would become like them. They would be falling all over the place, falling into this pit of self-righteousness. The Lord is saying, follow me. Follow mercy rather than judgment. Follow the merciful Lord Jesus and you will become like the merciful Lord Jesus. And if we want God to use us, if we want God to use us as his disciples, if we want to make a difference for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world, and we want to help others love Jesus, we must be willing to judge ourselves first before we hypocritically and self-righteously judge others. We should be more critical about our own sins than we are about the sins of our brethren. If you find yourself constantly critical of others, but really critical of yourself, quick to, to sweep your sins under the carpet, and even quicker to point to other sins, then you have been following a blind guide. You have not been following the truth. In fact, you are blind to the light. You are blind to the truth. You have become a hypocrite. If you are constantly concerned about other people's faults, but not spending as much time thinking about the repentance that you need to do, then you have violated this passage where Jesus is teaching. We ought to be more concerned about our own sins than the sins of our, of our brothers and sisters. Warren Wearsby, he said, the emphasis here on this passage is on being honest with ourselves and not becoming hypocrites. It is easy to try to help a brother with his faults just so we can cover up our own sins. People who are constantly criticizing others are usually guilty of something worse in their own lives. So this morning, as we read that quote, are you convicted? Is there some guilt that we need to be repenting of? And it gets even better, or maybe worse. Depends how you look at it. Our next point here in verse 41 to verse 42 is the hypocrite. Is the hypocrite. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Notice here that Jesus does not say that 
we should not help a brother with a speck in his eye. So Jesus is not saying we mustn't judge, but we need to do it properly. We need to first take out the log of our own eye, the, the tree stump in our, in our own eye, so that we can see clearly in order to take out the speck in our brother's eye. Your fellow worker has a, a speck of sawdust in his eye that he needs help removing. Only those who, who have eyes to see can help him with that speck, not those who have this, this tree trunk sticking out of their, their eye. So Jesus here is not saying we must not judge. He is saying, in fact, that we must judge. But we mustn't do it hypocritically. We mustn't do it self-righteously. We must do it rather in a Christian manner, in the way Christ would do it, in the way our Lord would do it. So this illustration is a humorous illustration. We don't see people walking around with big, with big, big trunks sticking out of their eyes. This is, this is a metaphor to help us understand how, how silly this is. And, and really the Lord is exaggerating um, this, the, this idea here because we exaggerate the faults of others, isn't it? By minimizing our own faults, we often exaggerate and make much of other people's problems. We're quick to blame others, but we're slow to examine ourselves, slow to blame ourselves. Now, if someone is, is late for an appointment, we get quite irritated, isn't it? Think about some of the doctor's rooms that you've been sitting in and waiting to see the doctor, and the person comes in 30 minutes late, which makes you late. Think how irritated you get. But what if you were that person coming in late for a good reason? Maybe your car broke down. We're quick to judge. We're quick to judge. Um, I see this often when I counsel couples with marriage problems. I ask her what their main problem is, and, and the wife says, Well, I have my faults. But I could be a good wife if my husband wasn't so inconsiderate and selfish. And off she goes, talking about how bad her husband is. And then I ask the husband what the problem is. And, and he says, yeah, I'm not perfect, but that woman, she is impossible to please. And off he goes, pointing out all of her faults. But you won't begin to love the other person as you should. And you won't grow spiritually until you begin to confront your own sin with God's Word. Hebrews chapter 4, look there with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Word is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. That's what the Scriptures are saying here. The Word of God exposes us before God's holy standards. It's not our standards that people have to measure up to, folks. It's God's standard. It's His Word. That is what we measure ourselves towards. 
Now, have you ever been working outside and the sun's gone down and it, and it gets dark and, and you thought that you were not very dirty because you couldn't see, see yourself and then you walk into the house and your wife sees you and she sees all the dirt and she sees all the, the marks that are, that are left on the floor when you walk into a bright lit room and all of a sudden your, your dirt is, is exposed, isn't it? The light and the mirrors, they, they, show your, they show the dirt that is on you. And God's Word is like that. That's what the Scriptures are saying. We might think that we're pretty good people. We might think that we, we're pretty okay. But it is the Word of God that shines the light upon us, that exposes our sins. Only once we're in the light can we see clearly. And these are the sins that we need to be honest about, and that we need to repent of, rather looking at other people. Let me share how God can help you get the speck out of your eye. Only once this log has moved out of our eye, can we, can we help our brother? Can we help him? Because we understand what he's going through. We can minister to him because we can understand the struggles he's had because we've had them ourselves. And we're not being hypocritical here. We're not being self-righteous here. But we are being honest and we're being kind and we're being merciful because that, that log is gone. And now we can help our brother or our sister. Let us remember that, that Jesus sees us as we, as we truly are. He sees us as we truly are. He bore God's judgment and, and condemnation in our place. And He forgave us. And He gave us His life. And He calls His disciples not to follow blind guides, but to follow Him. He calls us to abandon hypocrisy and to follow Him. Remember, Jesus is concluding this section by teaching us how to love those who have not loved us properly, including our enemies, especially our enemies. He knows that we will try to look for loopholes. He knows that we will try and make excuses by judging our enemies and making excuses for our sins and emphasizing their sins. So he instead commands us to focus on being merciful, not judgmental, even towards those who have wronged us. There's a quote I found this week by an early church father by the name of John Chrysostom. And he says, When we're in this kind of a circumstance, we've been harmed by a person who doesn't love us or who doesn't love us well. Well then, we correct, not as a foe or as an adversary exacting a penalty, but like a physician providing medicine. What a wonderful illustration there. Not as an enemy exacting a penalty, but as a physician helping with providing medicine. And the way we go about it is not by, by pouring judgment upon um, our enemies, not by condemning them, but rather as a physician who prescribes medicine. Now some of you would agree, medicine is often not very tasty. <laughs> medicine is not often something we enjoy taking. 
But it is needful. It is helpful, isn't it? So sometimes we need to be careful. We need to be tender how we are helping others. Are we helping them or are we just condemning them? And it's not easy. It's never easy. But we love the people enough to make sure that we love them. We make sure that we love the people, our children, we, we love them enough by, by making sure that we confront their sins, by addressing their sins, rather than just ignoring it. And we're called to do that. I'm not saying that this morning or any other time that, that we are just to ignore sin. But we are to judge it in a right way. Not in a hypocritical way. Not in a, in a self-righteous way. But the way that a physician would do it. The way that Christ, the great physician, would do it. We're not doing it because we want to harm people. Even though it may taste really nasty, we're doing it for their well-being. And it may be more than a, a, a spoonful of sugar that they need to, to swallow the medicine. But we're doing it because we love them and we care for them. And Jesus is saying this is the attitude that we are to have. Be slow to condemn. Be quick to forgive. Be ready to give. Be assured that as you do, God will reward you. And this is how He will normally work with you in His providence. He will measure it out to you in the way you have measured it out to others. This is very simple. It's a very simple truth. And those of us who have learned much of God's grace and who are tender to His mercy to us, we tend to find it a little easier to be merciful to those who are not merciful to us. But those who have not, those of us who have not advanced so far in our, in our understanding and experience of, of God's grace, we, we tend to be a little selfish in the way that we, we give out mercy, isn't it? And so what does our Heavenly Father do? He doesn't ignore the problem. He knows the struggle His disciples will face. So He presses down on them. And He's pressing down on us this morning just a little bit harder. Our Heavenly Father loves us too much to let us off the hook. And He didn't save us so that we could continue acting like the world. He saved us so that we would act like His Son, so that we can make a difference to the world around us, so that we can reflect the glorious, merciful Savior that is here for all to know. And we do all this out of love for Him who has made it possible for us to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray your spirit, please, do your work amongst us for the sake of your great name. We pray that so often, Lord. And I ask this morning, they won't be empty platitudes this morning, but we really do want to live for the sake of your great name. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to conform to your, to your revealed word to us this morning. Lord, that we would not just be the hearers, but that we would be the doers, Lord. That we would allow the Spirit to apply this truth to our hearts this morning so that when we go out this week, Lord Jesus, we will reflect the Savior that is true, that is real. The Savior who came down 
to die for sinners while they were His enemies. Lord, we pray, Lord, in our own fleshly state, we cannot, we cannot love our enemies the way that we should. So we ask your Spirit, Lord, please to forgive us and to help us live lives that are spiritual, lives that reflect our Holy Savior. And this morning, Lord, if there are people amongst us who are wondering, how is this even possible? How on earth? We ask, Lord, that you would grant them this morning the wisdom they need to be able to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would grant them repentance, that you would grant them faith this morning to see the beauty of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we this week will reflect that beauty to those around us, even in these difficult times that we are facing. And may you be pleased, and may you be honored, and may you truly receive all the glory. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we respond this morning in our worship with song. And uh, please join us as we sing our last song this morning. Yet not I, but Christ through me.